I'm Adam Ringler, and welcome to my show. Hello, everyone. I want to remind you that I have opted not to have a sponsorship advertisement over the last 30-some shows here. And the reason why is this. Rather than trying to sell you some latest gizmo, some performance technology, companies, newest, whatever, I would rather self-sponsor this show by having you visit adamringler.com forward slash newsletter. And let me tell you what this newsletter is. It is a random collection, almost a bullet point list of interesting articles, research, latest updates of what we're doing here from a sports performance, sports science standpoint. It's full with research articles, interesting blogs, things I'm reading, things I'm exploring. I think you're going to get a lot out of it. You'll get a lot of value for otherwise a small amount of email. I try to shoot you off an email about once a month and it is literally a small birch box collection of interesting tidbits that I have found throughout my month. Check it out at adamringler.com forward slash newsletter. Now, without further delay, here's the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this week's show. I'm your host, as always, Adam Ringler. And today, I thought on the Adam Ringler show, we would talk about some of the recent articles that I have read. And one of which I thought we should draw um, a highlight to is Martin Boucher's Uh, one of his newer articles, which is the noble ranks of performance roles. Who's a king and who's a duke? This article is published on sports.com, so sportperformancescience.com. It's sports performance and science reports. However, it is sport, P-E-R-F-S-C-I.com, a sort of open source website where anybody within the sports science or sports performance, strength conditioning, rehabilitation sciences can uh, submit their uh, research to. It's it's one of the few, I think, really, really good uh, sports science and research open source. Uh, but what was really interesting about the article as I'm navigating it right in front of me is that a couple different things, right? We have long had a very challenging time of really trying to understand essentially what to call ourselves within this industry, right? So whether we're head of medical, head of uh, uh, physio, we want to be strength and conditioning coaches or sports scientists, head of performance, head of sports science, it is very confusing. I think if you are an outsider looking in and trying to determine the job responsibilities that these people have. Um, And so what Martin ended up trying to do was he submitted, asked the audience via Twitter and some other uh, avenues to fill out a survey. And this survey went around and gathered almost, I think, 218 different uh, practitioners, eventually went ahead and sort of described their sort of responsibilities and how the titles and of the 218 some responses yeah there's probably a selection bias to it and there's you know there's always inherently some flaws of every study design uh but it was it was really interesting to sort of shed light on patient lines surrounding physios and performance coaches and strength and conditioning coaches and sports scientists uh, the sports medicine and athletic performance type roles and responsibilities. And nonetheless, I thought 
let's draw some light to this paper. So just to give some ideas as I walk through sort of verbally describing what this pa paper ended up saying is that um, of the people uh, that was reclassified in each row of the various 218 different responses, right? A uh, little over 40 of them were sort of uh, put into the sports science. Uh, strength conditioning coaches were a little over 20. High performance managers were existing between 40 and 60. And then the head of performance was actually above 60. Yeah, there was some medical and some R&D and uh, psychology and physios and so much. But it was really sort of interesting when they looked at the number of responses and they looked at the reporting lines uh, what sort of responsibilities that they've had. So what I mean by that is they went ahead and, and talked a little bit further that, you know, given the large variance in the titles and the associated roles and responsibilities, uh, they went a little bit further and looked at, did that role actually have any sort of management level responsible for the management of a single department? Let's say, uh, like a, a strength coach, you're managing the strength conditioning department, that would be level two. If you had higher level of responsibility and management in the same department, so you're managing potentially two different departments with a close relationship to each other, that would be what they would classify level three. And then the management of at least two different departments in different domains, right? So think of your uh, head of performance that might be managing not only the medical side of it, but also the strength and conditioning or the rehabilitation or the sports science, that would be level four. And they went ahead through this and essentially looked at all of the titles, looked at all the responsibilities, and really just sort of worked its way down. And what they found throughout those 218 responses that um, a number of different things really is that uh, as I read through this paper, it, you know, essentially all of the titles and all of the figures as we go through this, um, essentially, Though the head of medicine, head of uh, high performance manager, the head of performance, a lot of these guys were existing in that sort of level three classification. So that was, you know, again, like I said earlier, they had, you know, levels of management in the same department and um, at least maintained and managed other departments, right? So this is somewhat of a, an interesting paper, and I thoroughly enjoyed it because we are at a, a point of our industry where I just generally think that we don't necessarily know what we're calling ourselves. Um, so when we have players and, and you know, we have all this uh, beautiful support structures sitting around um, and, and assisting these phenomenal world-class players and the support structure, whether it's physios or massage therapists or, you know, your nutritionists, sports scientists, head of performance, head of sports science, that we really need to do a great job of outwardly communicating what the roles and responsibilities are within our domain. Because it's very easy to sort of misconstrue what my responsibilities are, let's just say as a sports scientist from a strength conditioning coach or a strength conditioning coach's responsibilities from a uh, head of rehabilitation. So, you know, I think as we move further, we have to, you know, first obviously define what each responsibility is, right? So if you are that physio, what are your responsibilities? What are your roles? What are you delegating to others? What are you, it's manager, you know, in the collegiate system, it's a little bit different because we don't often have a director of performance. And this is something that I think as we start to see over the next five or so years, that we'll start to have 
more director of performances that actually have a close daily operations working construct with the various teams that they serve. So what I mean by that is like, obviously your ATs and your strength coaches and your sports scientists should all upwardly communicate to that manager, right? So when a, uh, when a GM, let's just say in professional sports organizations or when your head coach uh, or you know um, sports supervisor in the collegiate setting comes to a coach and they have a pertinent question about the performance, about the health, about the rehabilitation, about the um, performance and return to play timelines, things like that, that they have a centralized person to go to. They know that they could go to the head of performance or the performance manager and and sit down and say, hey, you know, like what's going on? Um, so I think that's that's really important as we move through uh, the next couple years as more money continues to flow into strength conditioning and, and having a better understanding of the, the roles and responsibilities and then of those roles and responsibilities, making sure that we equipped those people with the um, with the right things, right? With the right resources that they have, the capability and the knowledge to perform what those responsibilities are. So, uh, Jay Martin publishing this because you know as we go through it and just some key points as I communicate this in audio format, 218 different responses, clearly no consensus regarding job titles in the performance world. And honestly, that doesn't shock me because as you go and you network or you're going to some of these conferences, we have director of sports sciences, we have head of sports sciences, we have coordinators of sports science, we have sports scientists, particular sort of uh, domain, right? And then we start looking at strength conditioning coaches. We, as an industry, don't know if we're a strength coach, if we're a weights coach. I've heard that before. Um, certainly in America, hey, I'm, a, I'm, I'm the weights coach. When you start looking at European models, we have fitness coaches as well uh, that does more of some of the, the conditioning and the fitness and, and sort of the technical, tactical, on field coordination in conjunction with uh, energetic demands of the sport. So you know, no real consensus regarding what job titles and what we're calling ourselves. And then even of that, if I'm calling myself a sports scientist and you are as well, there can be really large variance in the roles and responsibilities of what we do. So even though we might be able to identify and label ourselves as the same thing, we don't necessarily perform the same actions. So, you know, until we get better oversight and sort of, uh, I'm not a big fan, fan of of more and more governance but as we have more governance in what defines a sports scientist a strength coach a human performance manager performance manager whatever then we need to experience uh, those roles and responsibilities with that said we also need to continue to make sure that you know the strategies for us communicating between uh, practitioner to practitioner from a practitioner to your technical staff or head coaches or GMs, sports supervisors or head coaches, that we do so in a way that fits the context of what the coaches understand. We talk a lot about that on the show and that we need to continue to make sure that our communication style is within the same vernacular, within the same language that a sport coach can understand. So if I am talking about the bioenergetic demands of getting uh, this aerobic block and we're going to focus on, uh, yeah, they put it in the language of what is layman's term that a coach can understand. And if we need to, we can go a little bit further into the uh, the nuance of what we're actually trying to write and the way that we're improving, the methodology of the improvement, the actual science and physiology of it. But 
I would start at a level one sort of approach of being very uh, layman within the vernacular, within the language that we use, and then making sure that if pressed, that we can back that up with a little bit more of a uh, understanding of the physiology as well. So that was something I just wanted to uh, get across is that this was a really, really good article. And I would encourage you guys to double check that out on the website. You can find that, like I said, sportperf. Uh, com. So sport, P-E-R-F-S-C-I.com. It is probably one of my favorite resources when it comes to looking at uh, sport science articles. So nonetheless, I'll turn this back over. I'll get away from this Martin Boucher and, and Dave Carolyn um, article. Uh, and I want to turn this back over to the audience of this show and start talking a little bit about, well, what do we call ourselves? What do you call yourself as a practitioner? And so, you know, when I've been pressed, you know, I've I've continued to call myself a sports performance coach because uh, I think performance is more so than just what happens in the weight room. It's it's also not just about getting athletes stronger, i.e. strength, and getting them conditioned, i.e., you know, what we call ourselves the strength and conditioning coaches. So uh, I like to think that our roles and responsibilities exceed just str- getting athletes stronger and getting them in shape. I think it, it does at this level uh, stressors. We are, you know, stress managers in some respects, and stress can be anything from making sure whether it's physiological stress or biodemand stress, making sure that we are training of the sport. So the, like I said, like if once we understand what the bio demands are of, of uh, basketball, that we start to train the body in that way, the, the bioenergetics of, you know, the, the I, I hate this term, but the sport specificity of the energy demands of that sport. So again, when we start to talk about, you know, a 94 foot basketball court and we're continuing to run athletes two, three, four, five miles of long, steady staking, uh, and, and there's so much more to that as well. So, you know, I think we have exceeded just the responsibilities of getting athletes stronger and in shape and that we do serve a responsibility to the athlete to make sure that we are monitoring their workloads, that we're assessing and evaluating risk factors for injuries, that we're doing everything within our power to mitigate and try to reduce the likelihood or the probability of those injuries. Um, I'm not saying that we are... Uh, going to employ uh, a strategy that may become a panacea uh, for injuries, but we should be trying to do our due diligence in the evaluation, assessment, and identification of risk factors or asymmetries or um, KPIs that may lead to a higher probability, not necessarily that they will, not a predictiveness of injury, but a probability increase of the likelihood of soft tissue and catastrophic injuries. So, we, we owe that to a student athlete and we need to continue to make sure as an industry, as a professional, as a practitioner, that we're doing those things. So I would ask you, if you are now you know this far into this podcast, what do you call yourself? Please let me know. I think uh, if you could go ahead and tweet at me, at Adam Ringler on Twitter, or if you want to pop this into a DM on Instagram, it's the same handle, at Adam Ringler. And let me know what you call yourself. What is your title? Uh, which is right here. I'll throw that up there. There's all my info if you want to get on it. Uh, Assistant Director of Strength Conditioning for Women's Basketball and Volleyball here at University of Colorado Boulder. So 
I guess, you know, by that definition, what is the responsibilities of a strength and conditioning coach? Is it more so than just getting athletes stronger and in shape? And if so, should we be, you know, sports performance coaches? Should we call ourselves the language surrounding what we title ourselves and what we communicate outwardly to administration, to the public, to um, our athletes, to the parents of athletes? Should we call ourselves something more? Uh, uh, categorizes what our roles and responsibilities are. So I'd love to hear from you. Pop in, let me know, DM me, or, sh- or just tweet at me, and we can have a discussion online about this various thing because I would be very interested in hearing about what you uh, what you think. So what do you believe? Do you believe that we have a responsibility? Like I believe much as a strength and conditioning coach, we have a responsibility to objectively monitoring the demands of our student athletes. And we can start easily in the weight room by quantifying strain, right? We can look at things like intensities in the weight room, duration, uh, that, but should we be monitoring uh, total loads and total velocities through, you know, velocity-based uh, training modalities and technologies? Should we be equipping athletes with wearable uh, wearables to monitor the technical, tactical work that they're doing on a basketball court or volleyball course or elsewhere? Should we be assessing accelerations and distances and sprinting um, and change of directions and measuring that training adaptation, whether it's external workloads like uh, it's covered or um, looking at training impulse or um, speed zones or time in different speed zones or high speed running or things like that, the external outputs of a student athlete. But also, should we be monitoring the internal response to those, that dose response? So if an athlete on a Monday performs, let's just say X uh, outputs, um, objective KPI outputs, and on a Friday, they perform that same X output, but on Fridays, their internal response was much greater than on Monday. Should we be monitoring and, and sort of managing that internal aspect? Why is heart rates continuing to rise? Or if you're a believer of uh, or follower and, and put much stock and value in things like HRV as to doing that. Now, when I say, well, should we be performing and, and creating, you know, sophisticated modeling systems? And should we be doing, you know, postseason analysis and statistical correlations and running univariate, multivariate analysis and doing exploratory data analysis? I would say that is probably outside of our responsibility. That's probably more and closer to what a team or a director of sports science or your um, or your analytics person within an organization should be doing, and they should be upward feeding that communication and that their reports and that their findings to the pertinent sports scientists or strength conditioning coaches or sports performance coaches so they can use that data in an applied setting to actually change and modify and advance the practices and the modalities and the methodology of what we're employing and, and prescribing to improve, you know, obviously the athletic performance. So um, those are just some of my thoughts as I go through today. And I'm, I'm just thinking about this particular Adam Mingler show and some of the things that are on the top of my mind that I think is important to discuss. Well, there is that research paper talking about what we call ourselves and the roles, responsibilities, and the titles, and um, how we have a due diligence to make sure that we you know, remain within our scope of practice and that we can help encourage other practitioners and we can be sort of in this Venn diagram and, and be on the fringes of other sort of roles and responsibilities, but know when to delegate 
practitioner, I think absolutely we should do these things. So addition, you know, obviously later in this show, I talked a lot about just now, but the internal and external monitoring and sort of our roles and, you know, whether it's a sports scientist role or a strength conditioning sports performance role and tracking and monitoring and managing stress, I think we owe it to our student athletes to do these things because at the end of the day, if we want to call ourselves something greater than just a strength conditioning coach, if we want to be all-encompassing of the elements and the domains of what goes into sports performance, whether it's technical, tactical, uh, physiological, uh, technological, whether it's recovery, whether it's some level of performance nutrition, at least from an applied basic standpoint of it, if it's recovery, if it's all of these facets that go into high performance, then we owe it to make sure that we're doing our due diligence in trying to prevent injuries from occurring or reduce the probability of those injuries from occurring. And a large part of that, it can be done. I I say can be and not just should be, but can be done through appropriate and attentive management of internal and external factors that go into uh, we need to make sure that we're managing the internal and external stressors as well as fatigue markers and other sort of uh, is to the sport and the training adaptations that we're trying to drive to the training practices that we do. We should be managing all of those aspects for our student athletes. And if we're not, then yeah, perhaps we call ourselves strength and conditioning coaches. And if we're not doing those things, then perhaps we just focus on just being a strength coach or a weights coach. I'm cool with that. Um, and we want to outwardly communicate that we have more responsibilities, that we are greater than just being a weight rooms coach, then we also need to make sure that we're doing our responsibility of matching what those definitions are, what that terminology is, and making sure that we're backing it up by our actions and not just giving ourselves false titles for things that aren't being done. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to this show. I hope you took something away from it. And as always, there's a number of different ways that you can support the show, right? The first thing is I have a monthly newsletter that goes out. It is located at adamringler.com forward slash newsletter. And like I said in the intro, it is chocked full of great articles, research papers, sort of daily notes, things I'm finding fascinating and experimenting with and being a human guinea pig with to try to change my own behavior my own habits, ultimately to really try to improve my life and get something a little bit more meaningful out of it. So uh, head over to adamringler.com forward slash newsletter, pop in your email, and I promise you, you'll get the welcome email and you'll start receiving those monthly updates and you won't regret it. I'm not going to send you a bunch of spam messages or anything like that. I really think that you'll get a lot out of it. Check it out. After every single time that I publish this show, I often get one to two questions from you guys, listening audience, about, hey, Adam, how do I support the show? I love the material. I love some of the old interviews. I love the monologues you're doing, some of the the sports science updates and the current state of the industry updates. I love that. How do I support it so you can continue to bring this to us every week, every month, every year? The easiest way to do that is to buy me a coffee. No, don't really go out of your way, travel, jump on a flight, travel to Boulder, Colorado. You don't need to do that. What I need you to do, and if you want to, head over to buymeacoffee.com forward slash Adam Ringler, and you can buy the show 
a three, four, five dollar latte so that that money in a micro donation fashion can go towards supporting this show. All the proceeds from this micro donation platform from Buy Me a Coffee go directly into the hosting fees and the fees associated with this show. So if you want to support this show and continue with the message and the industry updates and the sports science updates, head over to buymeacoffee.com forward slash Adam Ringler, enter your information in the website, and that money will go directly to this show. And for the very last outro of this show, I have one favor, one request that I would ask for you. Do you like algorithms? Do you like robots taking over the world? If you like both, do the following. Whenever you are listening to this show, take a screenshot of your podcast player and post it to Instagram and please tag me in it. As always, my social handle is at Adam Ringler and I promise you that I will share that through every social avenue that I have, whether it's Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, uh, geez, how many are there at this point? Uh, But nonetheless, I will share that and that will help, again, visibility of this show and it will only help other practitioners, other sports scientists, other strength conditioning professionals, sport performance coaches, high performance managers, everyone be able to find the show and join in in our industry discussions. Thank you.